Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning, for your word. We ask you, Lord, that you'd speak to us. Thank you for the introduction we heard from Pastor Kyle, Lord, that our soul is a receiver and not just a responder and a funnel, but we're just an open book for you to write on. Bless the Lord, we pray this word in our guests, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We have been um, we have been uh, doing a series on angelic conflict, and I think this is going to be our last one. Uh, so, at the end of the service, what I'd like to do is, and I did promise that we would speak about hell, didn't I? But what I'd like to do is, is at the end of the service after we have like maybe a short break and for those that would like to hear more about it or have some questions for us uh we're just going to meet up here for that one any that want to join and we're just going to talk about what the bible says about hell and uh, if you'd like to just be in the back there in fellowship you may uh that's fine but we'll just have a q and a here afterwards so uh, we have been speaking about uh, angelic conflict, and we've been talking about really uh, first the historical aspect of Satan and his uh, origin as Lucifer. Then we spoke about his, then we spoke about last week uh, the nine principles of the strategic spiritual warfare. How many remember any of those? If you remember one, just shout it out. Does anybody remember any of those that we covered last week? Something that spoke to your heart? Anyone that has maybe one of them that that impacted you? Anyone? We spoke about, um, really, by way of review, two... Um, two advantages that... God has given you and I that being born again and seated with Christ in heavenly places, uh, we have a strategic and a tactical victory over the devil. How many remember what our strategic um, what our strategic uh, victory over the devil is? Remember the cross. The cross, right? The cross. The strategies of the devil or God's strategy. Uh, in the devil's life begins that all of our sin is crucified and it's been uh, set apart from us as far as the east is from the west. And so your issue, your sin today with God is not an issue at all. It's something that we often uh, lament about, but many times God doesn't even know what we're talking about uh, because it's something that's been paid for. What's our second victory or what is our second advantage that we have over the devil? First one is a is a strategic. The second one is a a tactical. Right? What's our tactical victory? Our daily, you know, strategic is a once and once and for all plan, but our tactics are really a day to day method of how we experience that victory. And what is the tactical victory for the believer? What's that? Offensive. Yeah, that's that's one of the things. It's a, it's our it's an offensive, it's an offensive. But what is the tactical victory that we have? Uh, over the, uh, yeah, really, that's one of them, God's word. Um, it really is this, I think, in um, 
Ephesians 1 verses 3 and 4 is that we have been given all spiritual blessings in Christ and we have been put in a new sphere. We've been put in a brand new place that is, um, and if, it, if it's getting a little warm in here, we can maybe turn that, that heat down. We've been put in a place that we, I like to call it like a dinosphere or like a power sphere. It's a place where you and I have been immersed into through uh, the um, being baptized into Christ at the point of salvation. And now in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. And so the devil wants to persuade you and I that we are poor, that we are limited, that we are decrepit, that we are weak. And really, these are all just lies, aren't they? These are just lies. And what we want to talk about this morning is... um, some of those lies, but today, by, re- by way of review, you and I, uh, before our day started, we were in a, a position of advantage, okay, over the devil, over the flesh, and over the world system. We are not at a disadvantage. We are made a little lower than the angels. We, yes, we have an old sin nature, but we are in Christ at a place of advantage, and that's where we have to start every day with. Uh, every situation that we face, every conflict, every problem, every temptation, every issue, every personal issue in our life, we have to address it from the standpoint that we are we are approaching this from the standpoint of advantage. Got it? That is our spiritual advantage. And so let's look a little bit at Satan's agenda, and I have another presentation here. So we read here in Isaiah 54, verse 17, that no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And this is really where we begin, that there is no weapon that is formed against you and I that will ever prosper. Isn't that amazing? That whatever the devil tries to strategize or tries to uh, uh, initiate in your life is not going to prosper. It's not going to prosper. Why? Because of our, because of our position of advantage. And what is Satan's goal? Well, Satan's goal is really to um, lead astray. And it's very simple. And I like this. I saw this photo here the other day that um, really gives the, you see this huge wave, right? And it's coming up on this little boat on the bottom there. And then you have the armies of God in the upper left-hand corner coming in and rescuing. I mean, that's how we feel sometimes. We're in this major storm, and we're about ready to get clobbered by a, a, a tsunami. And you can actually see the top of the wave looks like just demons, and yeah. you know. And then, uh, and then God comes to the rescue. Why? Because we are beloved by God. We are loved by God, and there's no weapon that will ever formed that's formed against a, against you or us will ever prosper. And so, what are really the strategies of the devil? Lies, twenty-four-seven lies. And these lies come in the form of the atmosphere, invisible, like Pastor DeKyle was saying, projections to the soul. You ever get an invisible projection, a thought that's so charged that you just know is from the devil? You ever have that, just a thought, like just come in? You ever get a thought about somebody, that somebody's thinking something, and then three seconds later they call you with a negative phone call? Is that satanic or what? This is the atmosphere, the unseen of Ephesians 2, verse 2, atmosphere that's projecting at the believer how about um well what are the different kinds of 
lies that the devil, the devil is a father of all lies in John 8, verse 44. He is the father of all lies. He impregnates people and situations with just lies, babies that come out as lies. These are just lies that are not truth. And these lies have one purpose, to lead you and I astray. That is, in every aspect, the devil wants people to believe lies. And, and how does he do this? Well, he uses a few things. Number one, well, we'll just get that in a second. But um, these lies that the devil builds is really what we call in our church uh, the cosmic world system. Now, the word cosmic or cosmos uh, is not necessarily the word that describes the universe that we live in, but rather cosmos in the Greek mind was actually the entire um, order of, of um, organization and uh, the entire order of the way things are done. And this is really when it's used for the devil in Second Timothy in Second John chapter one. It's really used, or First John chapter two. Verses 15 and 16, it's really used to describe the totality of all of Satan's strategies, all packaged together in an orderly system. And that system is what? Remember what it is? It's against God, isn't it? And this whole, and you can see by this, this shot here of this uh, artist's depiction of the Tower of Babel, that the devil is still trying to build an invisible Tower of Babel against God today, and what did we say last week about the um, about the the, uh, the the campaign of the devil? Didn't we say that he is appealing something? Remember that that Satan lost the court case in heaven. Remember we talked about that 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 Satan was sentenced to the lake of fire, and then what kind of sentence is that? That was what. It's not an immediate sentence, is it? It's a delayed, correct? That means that Satan is not in the lake of fire today, but he, in Ephesians 2, verse 2, he is free to roam about in Job chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He is free to roam about the earth. And what he tries to do is he tries to get people to be witnesses against God because Satan is trying to create an appeal case against God's sentencing. He feels that that sentence wasn't fair. And he's saying that I was unfairly judged, I was unfairly sentenced. Because remember, he led in a rebellion against God in heaven and took a third of the angels with him. And so this sentence has a delay of execution to it. And that means that Satan is out on bail and he is trying to appeal his case to people, to you and I. And he is looking for witnesses to prove his case against God. And we said this last week or two weeks ago that when you have an accident or when something happens, one of the first things you're looking for is what? Witnesses, right? People that saw what happened. I saw what happened. If you need, I can be a witness. You know, we, maybe, uh, and that's always a great help. And so the devil is looking for people, Christians and unbelievers as well, that will actually testify against God's faithfulness. For example, someone has a tragedy in their life or has cancer, and then they say, well, God didn't help me, and God didn't answer my prayers, and therefore I think God is a bad God, and he is not faithful, and therefore I don't believe in God today. What kind of witness is that? That's a person 
that's testifying against God's faithfulness because of a lie that they believe about God. Okay? That's a witness. And um, Jesus said to his disciples, be witnesses unto me. And this is part of the Great Commission. We are, we, today, when you and I walk by faith in our life, we are witnessing to the devil, to the atmosphere, to the world, and to God and his angels of God's testimony. And this is what um, Paul says in the book of Ephesians, that, that by the church, the wisdom of God might be known. And so you and I today are witnesses of God's faithfulness. When you and I decide to say, you know what? I'm not going to live in my emotions. I'm not going to live in what seems to be, uh, it seems to appear a certain way. I'm going to live in God's truth, and I'm going to keep my testimony, and I'm going to be a witness of God's faithfulness. And so therefore, at that point, we are not, we are not functioning in Satan's cosmic organized machine that's just destroying the earth. And this is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And so in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, uh, it talks about not having friendship with this system. And I think that when we get very comfortable in this world that we live in and we no longer see its hostility towards God, then in some way the cloak has been pulled over our eyes, the wool has been pulled over our eyes, and we've been in some way deceived. And so let's look at some of the devil's deceptions. It all begins in the Garden of Eden. And I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, and I want us to turn to Isaiah 44, verse 20, before we talk about the Garden of Eden. Isaiah 44, verse 20, it says this. And it talks about a person that's really started to function in cosmic thinking or started to think in the, the world system, begins to think in... Um, this lie that the devil wants to portray about the nature of God. Isaiah 44, 44, verse 20, it says that he feeds on ashes. He feeds on ashes. You ever go to a cookout and your, and your um, marshmallow or your hot dog falls into the fire? Some of us really treasure our foods. So we go into and get it. You know, and it's a little ashy. You ever taste some ashy food? Uh, Eastern Europe, what we used to do is they had a tradition there that they would take raw potatoes and uh, before you would start the bonfire, you'd put them a little bit under the underground, a little bit under the dirt, put dirt over it and then build a fire over it. You ever do that? And it would actually bake the potatoes. But when we did that, we didn't have tinfoil. So when we after, after the fire was done, we'd pull out the potatoes and they'd be all ashy and just dirty and we'd eat them, you know, we'd just eat them feeding on ashes. And what are ashes? Ashes are, ashes are just the leftovers. This is just, ashes re- represent what, what has, has been judged by God, but we just decide to eat it anyway. It's been, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has been, has been made for you and I, that burnt offering. And the ashes are what's just old memories, just the old feelings, the it's the unedifying stuff, ashes. And what happens is the devil wants us to live in the ashes. And when we live with the ashes, it says in Isaiah 44, verse 20, it deceives our heart. And we're not able to deliver ourselves, And we're not even able to see that there's a lie in our right hand. So how does the devil do this? Well, what are the ashes that the devil wants you and I to live on? Well, number one, your history. 
He wants you, to, you and I to be functioning and thinking about our past, those pleasurable moments as well as those tragic moments. You know, the devil wants you and I to live in the past and wants us to derive our self-image from the past. Number two, he wants us to be feeding on the, on the, on the, 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 the experience of our fallen flesh, our fallen flesh. You know, you and I live every day with fallen flesh. Number three, he wants us to be feeding on the ashes of other people's fallen flesh. <laughs> Any of you work with fallen, fallen personalities? Anybody? <laughs> we all, some of us, we all live with, we live, I mean, my wife lives with a fallen personality. I mean, we are fallen, we are fallen people. Number three, the cosmic world system, which we've already talked about. What is in this system? A fallen system, Right? It was the last time you tried to get on the phone and get something done with, you know, with the government or go to the post office and try to find a lost package. I swear there is a place in the universe that just all these packages are just floating around that nobody can find. It's like it's near the Bermuda Triangle, I think. It's just we live in a fallen system, right? When you know that you're innocent and then somehow you have been, you have been falsely accused and then you put away in jail for years. I mean, that's... I, that's the system. It's fallen. Uh, fallen health. How about your health? Our, our health is fallen. And then number five, what's the fifth thing that the devil tries to get us to feed on? And that is really projections in the air. You know, when you get a projection or a thought about something, you have to understand that this is angelic conflict in your life. You get this thought, you know what, so-and-so doesn't like me because they didn't say hi to me or they didn't respond to my Facebook post or they didn't return my message or my voicemail or and you get this, you get these, you start thinking these thoughts, you get a projection, which is like a fiery dart in Ephesians chapter 6. It wants to make you subjective. Don't live in subjectivity. See, you and I live in objective victory. I mean, we are in Christ, strategically victorious and tactically victorious. The devil wants to make you subjective so that you're on the defense. Imagine walking into a situation where you're thinking subjectively. And subjective thinking is just you are self-absorbed. All deception begins with self-absorption. Self-absorbed, what you want, what you feel, what's not been right done to you. And, you know, and we've talked about this, that so we need to take that to the cross and not allow that to be um, our, our mindset. So um, the Garden of Eden... How does the devil try to infiltrate the system of the world that we live in? Well, all deception really begins when the word of God becomes twisted in our mind. And I've been thinking about Genesis 3. The book of Genesis is amazing because it's the book of beginnings. And I think um, we could spend more time studying the book of Genesis because it answers so many questions about the world that we live in. The big question is, is that where did sin come from and why are we separated from God and who is the devil? And today there is a neo, uh, Satan wants to get his philosophy into the world that we live in and into the church and into your faith. And there is a philosophy and it was a philosophy that was fought uh, back in the day um, with with John the Apostle and Paul the Apostle. It was the major heresy of the day that they were dealing with. 
And this heresy has not gone away. It actually, in the third century, almost destroyed Christianity. This, and I don't know why we don't talk more about this. I've been studying it for the last two weeks, this, this uh, philosophy of Gnosticism. It's unbelievable how it's gotten into our church and into our, I mean, not our church, but into the church of Christ and into the world that we live in. Gnosticism sounds like some funky word. What, what does that mean? And what, what is, how does that affect me? But really, it is one of the most dangerous philosophies that, that came in. And it, where did it, 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 introduce, it introduced itself in the Garden of Eden. Let me, explain, let me explain to you what it was. Gnosticism is this. Gnosticism basically teaches that all matter is evil. Okay? It just basically says that Whatever's material is evil. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a teaching that's called Gnostic teaching. And it's a combination of early Christian teaching mixed with ancient Greek, Egyptian, and um, Babylonian paganism. Okay? I don't want to lose your concentration here. Um, keep focused here. Is that Gnosticism is ancient paganism and and all of the um, Egyptian and Babylonian and Greek um, paganism mixed with early Christianity. And what did that, what resulted? Well, it resulted in this. I can give you the short of it. That it resulted in this, that Jesus was not fully human. That he was actually more spirit than he was human. That Jesus was, uh, that Jesus really didn't die, but he appeared to have died on the cross. This really agrees with a lot of philosophies and religions in the world today. And that another thing is, is that uh, because Jesus was only spirit and he wasn't physical, that he was only spirit because everything physical is evil. And this kind of thinking gets into the church that, you know, the world that we live in, the physical world that we live in is just, you know, unspiritual. You know, it's not spiritual. It's not spiritual for me to have a job. It's not spiritual for me to pay my bills. It's not spiritual for me to fix my car, this lack of spirituality in the details of my life. See how it gets in? It's hyper-spirituality. And Gnosticism really focuses on extremes. How does it happen in the, in the garden? Are you following me? Yeah. Okay. How does this happen in the Garden of Eden? This is, so, uh, this is such a... I share this with... Pastor Kyle and we were having some coffee the other day with, with Ron, and I was just talking about this. The devil, in the form of a serpent, comes to Adam and Eve, comes to Eve, and speaks to her about, uh, he begins to ask her questions. And his question is, has God really said? Now, when that question comes to mind, that already should, red lights should actually already just start going off in our mind, like, has God said? You know, all the promises and all the words of God are yea and amen. There's nothing that maybe if, I don't know. God's communication with God always ends with an exclamation point. It never, there's never a question mark. You don't see God questioning things. God always speaks in absolutes and with clarity. And Satan says, hath God really said? And what a loser Satan is. He goes and talks to his wife. I mean, he doesn't have the guts to go talk to Adam. What's his problem? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if somebody has an issue, they're going to come and talk to me and not my wife, right? Unless they're, unless they got some weird motive. So Satan is already like this creepy, 
screwy, you know, creation that's going to talk to a woman instead of face to face with a man. And he says, hath God really said to you that you may not eat of the fruit? And what does Eve say? Eve already is looking at the fruit and taken up by it. And so she misquotes the scripture and she says, we may not eat of it, nor may we touch it lest we die. That is Gnosticism right there. Why? God didn't say you can't touch it. You know, the apple in itself was not evil. The tree in itself was, that was not the issue. Eve said we can't even touch it. See the extreme? Like when we start losing focus on Jesus Christ and on the grace of God, Christianity in our life becomes some extreme thing. Like I can't even touch that. And it's like, well, you know, and I don't want you to misunderstand me here, but the, the, the issue here with Eve was is that she was not to ingest or to assimilate or to digest that fruit. She was not to, uh, she was not to allow it to become part of her. She, it was something that she, was, she could touch it, but it was something that was not allowed to become part of her system. She was not allowed to assimilate it. And Eve was not discerning what was going on. She did not see the spirit of Satan behind that serpent. And that's another thing, too. Gnosticism never, never, never promotes discernment. It's always about objects, things that you can and cannot do. And this infiltrated Judaism, the, the days that you could eat and the food you could not eat. Um, this was an extreme version of the Judaic law. Here's, so what happens is this, is that Eve messes up quoting what God really said, that we cannot touch it. And what happens? When she, when she misunderstood the word and twisted the word, that's when she was deceived. And this is what we call Gnosticism. If you forget the word Gnosticism, don't worry about it. The point being is, is that um, God, the devil wants to, bring, wants to deceive our minds through feeding on ashes so that we... Look at things as evil instead of seeing the spirit behind it. For example, is it evil for me to have a TV? I cannot touch that TV. That's an evil thing. No, it's not, that's not the issue. It, the, but I need to discern the spirit behind my TV. If I'm watching something, like we watched the Animal Planet last night, if I'm watching something, and then there's something that comes on behind it that is charged by a satanic spirit, and I'm ingesting that, I'm digesting that with my eyes and my ears, and it's, it's going down into my soul, then that's wrong, and that's going to deceive me, and that's going to destroy me. But I need to, the devil doesn't want you and I to discern, you know, is football evil? No, football is not evil. But, but there can be things about it, behind it, that could, you know, certain aspects of, of the culture or the game that could actually infect me in some way. But is the football an evil object? You know, how many understand what I'm saying? We have to use discernment behind it. And that's why we don't live in this philosophy, touch not philosophy. Don't touch that. I mean, there are some things that if you have, if you and I have issues with it, like, you know, then don't go even go, don't even go near it. Don't even, don't even touch it. I mean, if that's, if you're struggling with something, best thing is don't even go near it. What I'm just saying is, is that the, the extreme Gnostic philosophy that has come about through, through the devil has now infiltrated some churches into a form of like fundamentalism that God never ever, 
that God never ever instituted. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we live in discernment, 1 John 4, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. We live in discernment. And you know something, we go to a football game, but we're living in discernment. You know, we turn on the TV, but we're living in discernment. You know, you, know, you turn on the TV, and then there's like, um, you know, two gay guys kissing. You know, I turned on the TV the other day, and, there, and I was like, okay, I'm going to change that. I'm not going to watch that. So it's like we're living in discernment, okay? We're, we're living in discernment. So all deception begins with pride. And notice that what's in the middle of pride, I, self-absorption. And I just want to, do we have time? Do you guys have capacity for this right now? There's nine, there's a nine-step process, and this is not original with me. This is something that I've taken from Pastor Stevens, and I've worked on it a little bit and developed it. But a nine-step process of deception and overthrowing the soul. Now, we've talked about deception in the past, but how does the devil get into somebody's life and, and, and a person's soul gets overthrown. I'm not saying that you lose your salvation because we're not teaching that, but I'm saying that how does a person lose their soul in the sense that they no longer, the spirit of God is no longer controlling their soul and they're just living in just unbridled reaction and emotionalism and just um, all of that, that that happens with a, a soul that's overthrown. Well, it's nine steps and the first step is a foreign object gets, enters into the soul that we begin to entertain. It's a foreign object. How many have ever gotten something in their eye? You know, like a speck of dust. Your eye is such an amazing... I had eye surgery. I have all these surgeries this year. I had eye surgery, and it's just amazing, the, the, the eye and how precise it is, and that there's no room for anything else except for the eyeball in your eye socket, even if you have like a miniature piece of dust and that causes an irritation and all deception begins when we tolerate something you know here's the devil coming to eve that's the foreign object (laughs) first of all adam's not doing his job because he was called by god to guard the garden right look at it some other time god says to adam that you're the keeper of the garden not just the gardener you know just gonna guard but the keeper the protector the the watchman over the garden. And so the devil comes in and he's the foreign object. He's the foreign, uh, the foreign thing that comes into the garden and begins to speak with Eve. Eve, who is not functioning in discernment at that moment, begins to entertain what he's saying. And what's the devil hitting in, in with, Eve's, with Eve? Two things. It was pleasant to the eye and that it would increase wisdom, make someone smarter. And that's two things in the human psyche that we want. I want wisdom. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be smarter and want to know better and I want to, you know, have the edge of knowledge. And the number two, the how beautiful it looks to the eye. You know, I, this week I'm supposed to get my sling off and I'm, I'm going to be able to drive and maybe bike in a few weeks, a couple of weeks. But I've been looking every day at bikes I'm having, you know, looking the pleasant to the eye. Bicycles. I don't know what it is. It's seventh lust pattern right there. Bike lust. Number two, uh, what happens is we give place to it instead of casting it down. This is the second step of the overthrow of the soul. Is that instead of throwing down, discerning it's a foreign object and casting it down, we give place to it. We really just say, hey, that's okay. I can talk to the devil right now. That's all right. 
2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, casting down vain imaginations. You know, we got to do that. You know, doubt comes into your mind, cast it down. Just, I'm not going to doubt God. Fear comes into your life, just cast it down. It's a foreign object. It doesn't belong in your soul. Just cast it down. Just say, you know, fear is not God's will. Temptation, just cast it down. You know, and just say, you know, I'm so much better than that stupid temptation. You ever get tempted with something gross and you're like, you know what, I am so much better than that thing? That's not even attractive to me, you know? It's the way we got to think about sin because sin, you know, the devil comes with a Big Mac. I'm not saying McDonald's is evil, but, you know, it comes with a Big Mac. God's like, I've got a steak here for you. What are you worried about the Big Mac? Just forget that. Just cast it down, you know? Okay? We give place to it instead of casting it down because if we give place to it, we're entertaining it. Number three, what happens? Well, the inevitable. Our emotions and our soul get wounded. You know, you get something in your eye and it just starts to irritate it, you know? Your eye gets red, swollen, watery, and it gets wounded, it gets hurt. And that's what happens with our soul. Our soul is so sensitive that we allow a foreign object to come in, like considering something outside of the guidelines of my life, you know? entertaining something that is just a foreign object in my life. And we don't entertain that. And when we do entertain it, it's going to wound your emotions. Sin always wounds. And this is Proverbs 26, verse 22. What does that verse say? It says that the words of a talebearer tail go deep, uh, causing wounds. And what's, who's the talebearer or the tattletale or the teller of lies? Who is that? Satan, John 8, verse, what, 44, right? John 8, verse 44. His words go deep into the soul, and they wound, and they hurt, and they destroy. Number four, the emotions begin to fight against objective thinking in the Bible. So we get emotional. We get wounded. We're emotional. We're just not thinking objectively anymore, are we? We're reactionary. We're wounded, and we just... And our, and, our, and our wounds and our emotions start to fight against the objective word. We're saying, you know what? I know the Bible says that, but I just feel really angry right now. I feel really hurt right now. I feel really betrayed. I know what the Bible says about that, but I, this is the way I feel. And because I am in the middle of my universe, I'm living in pride. That's deception. And emotions fight against the objective thinking in the word of God. Okay, just remember that. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. The mind gets deceived. What does that mean? It just means that Paul says in that verse to the Corinthians, don't let your minds be deceived from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, things are very simple to me as a believer. As a Christian, things are very simple. Uh, Number five, and there's nine of them, so. Number five, the conscience becomes distorted and we begin to lose our convictions. And Luke 14, verse 34, talks about salt losing its savor. You ever meet a salty Christian? That's good. That's a good thing. Salty Christians are good because they make us thirsty. We want to hang out with salty people, you know. We want to hang out with people that are going to create a hunger and a thirst in our life, that are going to challenge us, that are going to uh, always, always. Otherwise, we lose our convictions our conscience becomes distorted, and we begin to entertain things that were no longer that were not earlier something that we entertained. Number six, 
self-absorption, living in what feels good and feels right. Jude 1 verse 9. These are, these are all, by the way, the principles of Gnosticism. Like you just got to do, you got to follow your heart. You got to do what's right for you. You know, Gnosticism says, believe a whole bunch of stuff, but don't get specific about one thing. And that's the, that's the point of Gnosticism, that get very educated about everything in the world, but don't get specific about any one area of your life. Self-absorption, living in what feels good and feels right. You know, God's will sometimes doesn't feel right. just doesn't feel right. It's like, you know, it goes against my natural grain. Maybe an aspect of God's will doesn't feel comfortable, but you know it's right because you have deeper conviction. And this is Jude 1 verse 9. Jude 1 verse 9 says this, that they being sensual have separated themselves. What does that mean? Sensual means just basically in the Greek, living in the feelings of the soul. And when a person becomes soulish in their life, they just, it's always separation happens. Why? Because there's, there's no place for soulishness in a spiritual environment. Are you following me? Am I, am I losing you? If I'm, if I'm losing you, just say, hey, uh, hit the pause button. <laughs> right? And um, if I have a kind of relationship with somebody, and I'm, not, I'm a little, I'm, I'm, I, I'm just, I, 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 I have an issue with bringing it into the light of the body of Christ, then I got to ask myself, what kind of relationship? Is this something I'm trying to hide or, you know, try to, you know, keep from other people knowing about it? If I'm hiding things in my, if I'm hiding things from the light, then this is not right. This is sensuality. This is soulishness. And it's causing me to isolate, you know, certain groups in the church, and I'm not talking about here, but it can happen. Clicks can happen in the church where they're not baptized in the body, but they're just doing their own little thing over here, the spiritual elite, you know. They, being soulish, have separated themselves. Number seven, we choose, the, the, second, the seventh step is we choose against God, and the sin nature takes over. We change our lifestyle, you know. We buy a red convertible. We dye our hair another color. I'm just joking. I'm talking about the midlife crisis. Romans 1, verse 20, 24. What does that verse say? It says that God giving them over to, their, to fulfill their own vain desires. God will actually give a person over to their old sin nature in that area so that they can do what they think is seemingly right. Okay? We just start, people start choosing against God, and we begin to change our lifestyle. You know what's interesting to me? Is that every time, you know, many people that I've met, you know, I can't. I don't want to sound judgmental, but my wife and I, when people stop following God and they just get into something else, you know what? The first thing that one of the first things that always begins, they start drinking. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, before they had a conviction about it, but now they're drinking, and it's like, you know, it's like uh, their lifestyle changes. So number eight, uh, we are hurting ourselves more and more, and we become bitter, negative judgmental and we just stop receiving from God. Hebrews 12 verse 15. Root of bitterness begins, you know. Person doing their own thing and then they're just bitter. You know, there's are you happy? Hey, you must be happy. You're doing what you want to do. You're just following your heart. And they're like, no, I'm bitter. And then and they just because they've accepted a foreign object in their life that's just deceived them. Mm-hmm. Number nine uh, is what we call a full internal conspiracy. The soul is overthrown 
I'm no longer making decisions in my life. Situations are. People are. Needs are making my decisions for me. No longer, my will is no longer the authority of my soul. And I'm just going with the flow, feel, doing what I feel is right. And I just begin to live in different forms of rebellion. So this is really negative, what I'm talking about. This is really like, whoa, this is kind of not great stuff. But how do we get over that? Well, just God is so simple. How do we just get out of this whole rut? And by the way, we will be in that rut. You and I will face those times in our life. There's no condemnation. We are human beings. We'll find ourselves sometimes wandering on our way to Virginia. I say Virginia because we live in Philadelphia. You know, instead of, you know, like, what am I doing in my life? How do we just get right? We just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humbling ourselves. James 4, verses 6 and 7. God resists the proud. And he, and he, um, and he exalts the humble. And this is where we get the name of our church, Greater Grace, that God gives greater grace to the humble. And you know what? We look at ourselves as Christians as just people that need a lot of grace. And I just need lots of grace. Sometimes life's going to look like everything is going great, and this is the way, you know, I really got my tempo down. One day we wake up, and it's just like, God, I'm, everything's a mess, and I just need tons of grace. And Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, we have a throne of grace that is there, ready for us at the time of need. And so never feel bad saying, God, I messed up. I need to get grace from you. Actually, that is really wrong thinking. We've got to just say, God, things are going great, but I really need to function in your grace. I need your grace. I'm so dependent on you. I need you. I need to function in that, in that grace. And when we do that, we're going to discover a blessing in our life. We're going to discover... Uh, how to daily live with the advantage over the devil, uh, how we're going to daily live over the atmosphere at work. You know, I think many of us don't have edifying atmospheres at work, you know, but that's, that is a way that God is testing you and I to grow above and beyond the atmosphere of our work, understanding that before I walk through those doors, before I face my boss or my coworker, uh, I already have the victory in Christ. And I can just feel secure in that. Or when we're going to, you know, holidays are coming, we're going to be visiting family. And some of that family could be a little dysfunctional. We just address and we come into that family with an understanding that we have the advantage in Christ. Because we are inside of something and we are inside of Christ in Ephesians 1.3. And we have all spiritual blessings. And the result really is healing, correction, and God just lifts us up. Amen? Amen. So we'll just stop there and uh, just, just close in a word of prayer.